Huckabee, Burgess Owens of the growing black conservative movement, Andrew Chambers, the DEA's most successful informant, and served up, it's the Beach Boys! That's Ray Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey, and now... Thank you so much. What a great audience. And you have no idea what to expect. This is going to be a show you do not want to miss. Because among our many guests, as Keith just told you, we got the Beach Boys here tonight. It's going to be fun. I guess I should say it's going to be fun, fun, fun. I think the audience caught that. At least some of them did. Look, I'm not sure a lot of Americans pay much attention to the chatterheads on liberal media who hate President Trump so much that they've become irrational and hysterical. I mean, when the president dismissed Lieutenant Colonel Vindman and his twin brother from their positions in the White House National Security Council office, you would have thought that the president personally went to their desk, grabbed them by the collar, and boot kicked them out in three feet of snow on the White House lawn. It was said to be vindictive outrageous, unprecedented, unpatriotic. And that was just for starters. Lieutenant Colonel Vindman deserves our respect for his decorated military service. Take nothing from that. What he does not deserve is to be treated like a martyr yanked from duty because he was just doing his job so wonderfully and better than it had ever been done. And both he and his brother didn't lose their paychecks. They went right back to the Pentagon and never missed a single day of pay or their benefits. What they lost were their positions at the White House on the staff of the National Security Council. Let me tell you, my reaction was not to think that it was so very cruel, but to wonder why it didn't happen sooner and why aren't there more people being ushered out the door who are not loyal to the president? Let me explain something. Vindman was a holdover from the Obama administration. And in sworn testimony before Congress several months ago, his direct supervisor complained to Vindman failing to follow the proper chain of command and seeming to think that the president ought to be taking more policy advice from him. Now, let me explain something. There are two kinds of government employees, civil service employees who are supposedly politically neutral and who have jobs from which they can almost never get fired, even when they should be. In fact, to fire one of them requires cause, and that cause has to be something criminal, egregiously unethical, or grossly insubordinate. And it's still very hard to get rid of them. Then there are those employees who have jobs defined as, quote, serving at the pleasure of the president, end quote. That's a broad definition, but it basically means these are political appointees. They can be terminated without cause. It's literally at the pleasure of the president. And if he has no pleasure with such a person, they can be frog-marched off the grounds because of what they ordered at Waffle House for breakfast. No reason has to be given. When I was governor, I oversaw over 70,000 employees. Most of them were civil service. 
Honestly, it was easier to get Adam Schiff to decline a TV interview than to fire one of those folks. <laughs> but there were hundreds of employees that were deemed at will or who, quote, served at the pleasure of the governor. I could fire them at any time for any reason. I fired quite a few, but not nearly enough, to be honest with you. Presidents and governors and even mayors, for that matter, routinely police political appointees from a previous administration, and no one from the press ever makes a peep about it. On his first day in office, President Obama fired every single U.S. attorney and every ambassador that President Bush appointed. And by the way, Bush got rid of all of Clinton's people. Wasn't a scandal. Folks, elections have consequences, and if you win, you get to put your own team on the field. So stop the crocodile tears about Vinman or anybody else who got sacked. If President Trump has made a mistake, it wasn't cleaning house on day one, which maybe he should have done. But he shouldn't be expected to keep people around him who leak to the press, whine about the decisions of the commander-in-chief, or get upset when the person who went through the rigors of a campaign and actually got elected somehow expect the people getting a paycheck from him to either show some loyalty or get the heck out. If there is one skill Donald Trump brought to the White House, it was one he got really known for on the long-running TV show, The Apprentice. You remember, his signature line was, you're fired. I honestly think he needs to be saying it a lot more. My first guest is a Super Bowl champion, NFL veteran. He's also a champion of conservatism who says that President Ronald Reagan made him realize he was a Republican. He's right now a candidate for Congress in the state of Utah, and he joins us here tonight in studio. I want you to welcome a remarkable human being, Burgess Owens. Burgess, Thank great you. to have you Thank here. You, Thank Appreciate you. It, Appreciate it. You are running for Congress. Yes. I was thinking maybe uh, there could be an opening. You could run for Senate out there. We've got <laughs> one in Utah that might need to just rethink the whole thing, but that's... Well, I, I'll tell you, uh, Mike, I, uh, I was fortunate to grow up in the, in the Deep South back when, uh, when we were taught patriotism, a love for God, country, mm -hmm. family, and uh, I'm so thankful to be in an environment where that, that, that those feelings are still, those values are still very strong. So it's, uh, to me, it's like, my, it's like breathing my next breath of air because it's, it's nice to be in a place where you can fight for our, our values and, and know that we have support and, and prospect and get that done. You've been outspoken about your views of loving this country. <clears throat> I'm going to focus more about America than I do just about even uh, your congressional campaign because I think the reason you're running is because you love this country. It's been yep. good to you. And, and you feel that you have something to offer. I'm going to give you a present from Booker T. Washington that he gave to my race that for over, almost, almost a century uh, left, allowed us to really do some very, very good things. A lot of people don't realize in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, it was the black community that led our country in the growth of the middle class, uh, led our country to men, men committed to marriage and uh, entrepreneurs, over 40%. Mm. Men matriculated from college. It was basically four tenants that he left with us that if we, 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 we recommit to these tenants, we can start having conversations no matter what side of the aisle we're on. Yeah. And those tenants are head, heart, hands, and home. Hmm. Ed, uh, education, God, industry, and family. 
It really is that simple when it comes down to what, what are we really trying to get accomplished. We want to make sure our kids are educated, that we can think outside the box, that we can come up with solutions that are necessary for not only ourselves but for others. God has been the center of our, of our lives. The minute we, we allow the left to take that away from us, what we have is evil. And that's what we're seeing now in our, in our nation's capital. People have no shame. Um, they can care less about being honest because they don't think there's any consequences. Hmm. Industry, if you want to, to, to allow a man to understand a woman, to understand what it is to have self-worth, allow them to go to work. Allow them to, 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 to work out the process of meritocracy. And that's what we've been really good at in our country. And the last one is family. Uh, as our family goes, so is our country. And we need to make sure our women, womanhood, we understand how much we need to respect that. Right below God is womanhood. And the minute we get our young men thinking about that once again, we'll get our country back. And our young ladies need to know, as they keep their values, young men who really want to get their respect will, will reach up to get that. So we need to have our ladies know, know keep your values high. That's going to drive our country. Mm -hmm. And if we do that, we'll be in a good shape. Beautifully, beautifully said. I want to call attention to the most recent book you've written. You've written several. This is called Why I Stand. It's uh, from freedom to the killing fields of socialism. You make it very clear that if you were playing NFL football today, you wouldn't be taking a knee no. during the national anthem. No. Why, why do you have a different attitude about that than some of these young players do today? What we have to understand, and this is why I'm so strong on this, We've been at a war for a long time. Yeah. Uh, the Judeo-Christian values has made our country great. It allows every generation to get better and better seeing each other in front of inside out versus outside in. That's what's under attack. Uh, we have, I have from, from my vantage point, the privilege of saying, I see what socialism can do to any race, any culture. That great community I just mentioned, the reason why we turned upside down, because of elitists, socialists. We cannot allow that to happen to our country. So in, in, in the process of us, um, Understanding what we're trying to fight, socialism and Marxism is our enemy. It's, 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 it's godless. Um, they, it, it's a process in which they use, abuse, and discard. And Americans, thank goodness for President Trump. I tell you, I love the fact he hates bullies. At the end of the day, that's what it comes <laughs> yeah. down to. And uh, I understand that growing up down, down deep south. The way I was taught to deal with bullies, very simply, is you run at them as fast as you can and hit them as hard as you can. <laughs> and that works. It gets respect. Took you to the Super Bowl, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, Burgess, what you just said is very important. You're, you're talking about President Trump. He has helped lead in an economy that now has the lowest unemployment numbers in the history of America for not only African Americans, but for Hispanics, for women, and for young people. Is he getting credit for that in the black community? He's getting credit because what Americans understand is when they start feeling better, they start feeling, start feeling more hopeful, that's the American way. Uh, what I love was having with President Trump, he's finally pulling back the curtains of what we're up against. Hmm. You saw, and I, I made this statement before, State of the Union, to me, I've, I've played in a Super Bowl game, I've watched a few, it was the greatest Super Bowl I've ever seen, 50 to nothing halftime, and those guys didn't have a, 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 a chance of coming back. So what's happening is he's showing who loves America, those of us who applaud all the success, everything that's happening right now, and he kept with the victory after victory. Those who hate our country, hate Americans, love power more, are the ones who sat on their hands their entire time. Burgess, you made a very provocative statement that I've heard uh, of you. <clears throat> you said black elitist have done more damage to the black community than white supremacists. That's right. I couldn't say that. Yeah. You did say that. What do you mean? And, and it's, well, it's time for us to start speaking truth to power. 
And that's what's happening in the black community. We're waking up. You know, we've been on this plantation trusting the leftists, and you see where it's gotten us, Chicago, Baltimore. Mm. Uh, every place there's hopelessness and misery, you find the Democratic stamp. We're finding people now waking up, particularly President Trump. You're saying you see more and more black Americans wearing a MAGA hat. By the way, my message, if you run across any black American wearing a MAGA hat, shake their hands and say thank you. <laughs> because they're saying they're doing they're on the front line. <clears throat> and uh, And again, what's happening is we're getting to the point where we don't we can care less about what people say. The, the, and that's part of what, what our president is doing. The leadership is allowing us to stand stronger and be, be prouder and be bolder. And as a people, we, we're getting away from this PC correct thing that we were going through for quite a while. So I'm very excited to have a leadership that we now have so many people following, following his lead. And uh, we're going to make America not only great again, but keep it great as we keep this process going, for sure. You are a national treasure, Burgess, Thank I want to tell you, Thank you, for all that you're doing. God bless Burgess Owens. <laughs> so the book is available on Amazon, or you can get it at BurgessOwens.com. Also, follow Burgess and his campaign on Twitter, at Burgess Owens, and his websites. Now, Keith Bilbrey has been campaigning to be announcer of our show. We're going to see if we've got the votes counted and if he still has what it takes to hold on to his incumbent seat as our announcer. Coming up, Congresswoman Debbie Lesko and comedian Moody Malavi. And later, the Beach Boys join us on Huckabee. Next week, Joe Piscopo salutes the chairman of the board. And Jake Hoot, winner of The Voice, performs. President Trump was acquitted after the House Democrats' long push to remove him from office. My next guest is a member of Congress and was a member of President Trump's defense team. She often took the spotlight during the House hearings, where her penetrating questions had some Democrat colleagues hoping they didn't have to respond to her. President Trump personally thanked Congresswoman Debbie Lesko during remarks from the White House, and she joins us here tonight. Congresswoman, it's a delight to have you here. I'm going to start with the fact that the president just endorsed you uh, very strongly this week. Does that help you in Arizona for your reelection? Oh, it sure does. In my congressional district, President Trump won by 21 percentage points. Wow. So <laughs> he's, he's very popular in my district. And, you know, he's doing a fantastic job. I really believe that he's going to take Arizona more than he did last, last time. He clearly has a lot of confidence in you. The fact that you were selected out of uh, a lot of different House members to be a part of his legal team when the case from the House was presented to the Senate was a huge compliment. Uh, you, ha you have to have felt that maybe uh, you caught some people's attention during the House committee hearings. Yeah, I sure did. I feel very blessed. You know, I, I didn't ask to be on Judiciary Committee. Doug Collins, the top Republican, asked me to be on Judiciary Committee. And then, of course, this whole impeachment thing came forward, and it was just wrong. What the Democrats are doing is wrong. All it is is a political power grab. I would just speak from the heart and say, this is wrong. This is outrageous. We need to stop this in, for the sake of our country. There were two things that uh, I think a lot of us were watching. One was the process itself, which seemed incredibly unfair. You guys on the Republican side were not given the same access to documents and witnesses. But the other part was the evidence itself. Uh, you saw it in a way we didn't. 
Was there anything whatsoever that you saw that you thought was worthy of even consideration of impeaching an elected president? There was absolutely nothing that was impeachable that the Democrats brought forward. And remember, it's the House's duty to, to prove their case that there was an impeachable offense that the president did. And they didn't even come close to this. And then for them to go over to the Senate when they didn't call witnesses, they didn't wait around to subpoena people, and then say the Senate was doing a cover-up, give me a break. These people are so hypocritical. I, I cannot believe the political, ruthless nature that goes on in Washington, D.C. I mean, they don't even deal with the truth. When I watch these proceedings, one of the things that strikes me is this is a very different kind of atmosphere than 20, 30 years ago when members of different parties would be fierce in their debate, but you could still see a level of collegiality that existed, a, a certain decorum. I don't see that anymore. Tell us what it's like behind the scenes when the cameras are off and in those cloakrooms back there. Is it as tense there with folks from the other party as it appears to be in public? I'm on Rules Committee, Judiciary Committee, Homeland Security Committee. And I can tell you that there's a concerted effort by the leadership to bash the president on every venue. I, in Homeland Security, they haul in people that bash the Trump administration on border security. Chairman Nadler accused the Customs and Border Protection officers of, be, of negligent homicide, child abuse. The rhetoric is over the top. It's, it's really, it's a waste of time. It's, they're wasting our time. They're wasting taxpayer dollars. They're not getting anything done. They're just angry, angry. And Congressman, uh, there's talk that the Democrats will do another impeachment even before this election happens. I mean, I can't even imagine that they would do it, but they're talking about it. How would that be received in the House? I, I think I've long passed the point of being surprised of what they're doing. And to me, it doesn't even make political sense. I mean, let's say they even believe this stuff, which I think some of the Democrats actually believe what they're saying. But I think in the leadership, this is just a political strategy. It's pure political, want to take out the president, influence the 2020 election. But, you know, they don't even make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's not politically smart. I mean, they hauled in Al Sharpton into the Judiciary Committee and bashed our law enforcement. That's not a smart political move to bash law enforcement, bash our Border Patrol officers. People around America don't want their Congress people bashing law enforcement. There was a moment mm -hmm. uh, during the State of the Union where Democratic Senator uh, Kristen Sinema stood up and applauded the president. And she was clearly quite alone at that point. This is uh, someone from your home state of Arizona. Were you surprised that she uh, sort of bucked the trend and, and stood and at least gave the president no. props for the economy? No, I wasn't surprised because she's very politically savvy. And so my guess is that she did that so then the next day she could vote against the president <laughs> so she could kind of have it both ways. <laughs> well, we, we are delighted that you are in Congress, and I hope that uh, next year in the next State of the Union, it'll be uh, Speaker Kevin McCarthy sitting behind the president. I'm pretty sure he won't be ripping up the speech. Uh, Congresswoman Debbie Lesko, <laughs> thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you.
By the way, you can follow uh, the Congresswoman on social media and see what she's working on. Keith Bilbrey, why don't you tell us what else we've got on the show tonight? Next, the very funny comedian Moody Malavi. Later, America's rock and roll band, the Beach Boys. And former DEA narc Andrew Chambers on Huckabee. Huckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow at GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. Welcome back to our show. Hey, how about a big hand for the best band in the land, Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. You see, one of the good reasons to come to our show and be in our theater with us is that you get to hear some really amazing music these guys do during the breaks that you don't always get to hear on TV. So that's a good reason to come. I hope you get your tickets and come join us. Well, my next guest is a stand-up comic who finds humor in his real-life drama as an Iranian-born American growing up in the deep south of America. How's that for a combo, huh? <laughs> Gotta find something funny in that. He's an expert in family diplomacy. I want you to welcome Moody Malavi. Thank you, thank you very much. Uh, my name is Moody. It is a nickname like happy, sad, angry, glad. Uh, it's basically just a, a name I've had in the South. I've grown up in the South because people can't pronounce my real name, which is Mahmoud Molavi. <laughs> I was born in Iran, and that's the welcome I normally get, so <laughs> thank you. And the policeman offering security this evening you could hear it while I got quiet. You could hear like the safety just went off the gun. <laughs> that boy said he's from Iran. That is the biggest Iranian I have ever seen. I didn't know they had corn in Iran. He might be a Trojan horse packed full of a whole bunch of little Iranians. I've grown up that my whole life, man. We got, we moved to the States when I was six years old. And, and you know, all I want to do is play football, you know, and football in the U.S. is different than it is in Iran. You know, they, they put these pads in here. I'm like, I just want to play football. <laughs> like, yeah, you're big enough, boy. Just sit right there. People bounce right off you, you know? <laughs> And they made me change my name because they couldn't pronounce my name. They're like, uh, yeah, we can't do that Mahmoud name. And my two brothers, I had Majid, Mehdi, and I'm Mahmoud. And the little lady signed us up. She's like, mm, no. <laughs> We can't say these names, you know. You know, I was, I was the youngest. I was, I was the biggest, and, and the other two were delicious. But, uh, <clears throat> so my mom is from the south, and my father is from Iran. She's Methodist, and he's not. So later in life, I made them both a little angry with me when I became an Iranian Southern Baptist. People's like, what's that? Is that a joke? Like, no, I, mean, I was born in Iran, and I go to a Southern Baptist church, and, and I praise with more spirit than anybody else in my church. You know, they're all like, hallelujah. Mine's a little different. You know, hallelujah. <laughs> my pastor's out there watching this, and he's like, yep, that's it, <laughs> We sure miss it when he's not in church. <laughs> Everybody's always got their hands raised up and praise, you know. Like, I think they're just scared. <laughs> He's right behind us. What do we do? 
My wife is my high school sweetheart. We got married in 1998. And uh, my mom got remarried in 2002. Uh, she married this amazing guy known as my father-in-law. <laughs> Man, you are fast. <laughs> We're in Tennessee, right? I mean, <laughs> I don't know, whatever, roll tide. <laughs> I'll get that fast, man. So yeah, I'm my own brother-in-law. And my wife is my sister. And we're raising two beautiful nephews. Awesome. My wife and I live on something called LSD. It is least stressful decision. All right, so what that means is anytime you get a stressful moment in your life, which is like every day, then you take the least stressful decision. So like we have a king-size Stanford mattress, which is amazing, right? When you first get together, you're thinking, man, she's hot, you know, and she's like, oh, he's hot, we're so hot together. But three years into it, it's as if we're kind of hot, right? It's like, get up off of me, hot! <laughs> and that's my wife. <laughs> like, I just want to cuddle. <laughs> One of the stressful moments in life is get on an airplane. When you're my size, it is stressful. Actually, any size, really, because someone thought that it was a good idea to make that aisle way one thigh wide. You know, it's not like, come fly with me. It's more like, come fly with me. Even the little people are like, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me. Hitting everybody, the people over there on the, on the, the sky priority, they're thinking they're just all that. They're sitting down, like, oh, I'll get to sit down for anybody. Then everybody's rearranged and goes, rub. Hey, that was rude. Rub. The fat guy comes out, boys, he got to do, man. You know we're going to put the fat guy all the way in the back of the plane. Right? I don't know, maybe it tilts the plane up, makes it like, I don't get... Subtraction before it goes. I don't know. And you have to get back there and just kind of just pull the truck and just all the way to the back. People are honestly like, bah, 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 bah. what was that? And I want the exit road. Do they give me the exit road? No, they don't. They're like, oh, you're going to be a hazard. Like, no, I won't. Because I got to wear, you know, those, those whatever seatbelt extenders. I wear three. And they're like, if a dangerous thing happens, let's say the door flies off the plane, you're going to be in the way. I'm like, Right. Think about that. Wham. I got it, y'all. Just keep flying. We are good to go. My name is Moody Malawi. Thank you so much. Oh, that is great, Moody. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh. I don't know about you, but I got to catch my breath. Oh, okay, good. That was... That's my goal. That was wonderful. Don't you love this guy? Isn't he terrific? So you really are an Iranian Southern Baptist. Now, that is an interesting combination these days. Iranian Southern Baptist Uncle Daddy. Uncle Daddy. Explain that yeah. one more time. I think our audience was sitting there going, do what? I know. People are like, oh, he's just stealing a bit from Ray Charles. I'm like, oh, Ray Charles, wrong one. Ray Stevens. And I'm like, no, man, that's just what happened, you know? Uh, my mom, she was divorced from my dad, and... And my father-in-law, he was a widower. And the whole time I was like, man, it'd be really cool if he could find someone like my mom. And then I was like, it'd be really cool if she could find someone like him. And apparently they overheard me. <laughs> <laughs> so I know we got nephews and it's kind of, a, it's, it's just fun. What a great bit for comedy, man, to be able to talk about that. I mean, but in the South, they're saying, yeah, it's the same thing in our family too, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, you heard the safeties go back on the guns. But not... <laughs> oh, he's one of us, man. <laughs> yeah. 
I love the bit about LSD, least yes. stressful decision. Take the LSD, that's right. But that's really not even a comic bit. I mean, that's really, there's a good lesson in it. Oh, that. my goodness, yeah. So we got an 18-year-old son who uh, just joined, well, actually, in August, he joined the you know, uh, National Guard, Army National Guard. Yeah, He's good for him. He's a senior in high school. Yeah, oh, my goodness, we're so proud of him. <laughs> he just turned 18 yesterday. And it's weird being, you know, your son is no longer a civilian, right? So when he does stuff he shouldn't do, you're like, well, you know, the government's <laughs> going to take care of you, boy. <laughs> that is my LSD. I do not discipline him anymore. I'm like, nah, we're good. <laughs> we're good. Don't you think it's funny when a, a kid who's 18 says, I tell you, I'm tired of being told what to do. I'm tired of being bossed around by my mother and father and always being put for these rules. I'm going to go join the military. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> That's actually right on. That's exactly what happened. How did you get into comedy? What was it that just made you think, this is my career? Uh, I, I, I answered a dare, basically. I really? I dared to go on stage and do an open mic. Uh, actually, I actually was doing a contest uh, in Chattanooga, uh, the Southern Funniest Person Search back uh -huh. then. And uh, I got third out of 77 people. So it was, it was awesome. And it was, it's, it's like something you just can't... Thank you. Well, tonight, you got first. I'm oh, going to tell you, you, what a great, great joy to have you here. I hope people all over our viewing audience take down how to get in touch with you and have you at their corporate event or church because you are wonderful. And thank you for coming to be with us, Moody. It's a thank delight. Thank you. My honor. Absolutely fantastic. Hey, to see more of Moody's stand-up routines, to book him at your next event, which I think you're going to want to do, visit his website. MoodyMalavi.com. And I'm so glad he's going by Moody because I'm not sure I could have spelled the other one. It's all on your screen. You can also follow him on Facebook for more laughs. Right now, we're going to turn it over to Keith Bilbrey, who will tell the folks at home what we've got coming up next. Coming up, rock and roll legends, the Beach Boys, and the accidental narc, Andrew Chambers, on Huckabee. to the show. Okay, 59 years ago in Southern California, teenage brothers Brian, Dennis, and Carl Wilson, along with their cousin Mike Love and friend Al Jardine, founded the Beach Boys. And popular music has never been the same since. I want you to give a big round of applause to the leaders of America's rock and roll band, Mike Love and Bruce Johnston. <laughs> I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I'm so excited to have you guys here. Thank it is you. fantastic. We, we see you all the time. We, we tune in as much as we possibly can while we're traveling all over the place. Well, that's something I want to start with. Yeah. You guys are, are not slowing down 150 dates last year. Are you kidding me? Probably 160 this year. Unbelievable. <laughs> well, I want to talk about 
the extraordinary Governor, music. Governor, I don't want to forget. Yes? Our time is very precious and all too short. But I have this book called Good Vibrations, My Life as a Beach Boy. And I wrote in here, uh, on account of you're the newest member of our group. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. To Governor Huckabee, good vibrations, a real pleasure. Love, Mike Love. Thank you. How's that? I am honored. Thank you, sir. You are welcome. You know, the book, Good Vibrations, a great place to talk about. That song was monumental yeah. in that it was different than anything, not only that the Beach Boys had done, yeah. but that was an incredibly uh, breakthrough song for yeah. rock and roll music. It, it really was. It was... It was avant-garde in 1966, and it still is <laughs> ahead of its time. I mean, it's, it's unusual. You helped write that song. So what was going on in your head when you were putting that song together? Now, Brian had this track put together from different studios, and the composite, we were finally ready to do the single. And it took him a few months to get it to that yeah. point. But then I wrote the words. I dictated the words uh, on the way to the studios. I'm driving in an XKE, by the way. You know. you're, you're kidding me. No, I'm not kidding. You mean that just spontaneously came to you? It spontaneously, I was terrified because I had to get the words to the, you know, yeah. that same, within an hour to the studio. So I, I procrastinate sometimes. But, <laughs> but it came out great. You think? <laughs> One of the greatest songs of all time. You know what? Absolutely. 66 and the strength of good vibrations, we were voted the number one group in Great Britain. Hmm. Number two being the Beatles. Which is that, mop tops. <laughs> <laughs> there was always this talk that there was a uh, a friendly and healthy competition Absolutely. between the Beatles and the Beach Boys. Love what they did. They they apparently love what we did. You and know, I, I've we, read books about the Beatles how they envied you guys. And when Pet Sounds came out, they were just blown away and they said, "We got to go do something." Yeah, yeah. And they ended up with Sgt. Pepper's. But it was Pet Sounds and what the Beach Boys did. That kind of made them yeah. think we better we better step it up. And Rolling Stone did a coffee table book saying the number one album of rock all, of all time in rock was Sgt. Pepper's, and number two was Pet Sounds. I, other than demanding a recount, <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty good company right in there. Yeah. But good. you had an ongoing relationship with them. When you guys would get together, did you talk music? Talked about cars and girls. Cars, girls. Yeah. I swear. Yeah. We met, met him in Portland, and John Lennon's voice was out. He couldn't do this one high part. And he says, when it comes to that part, shake your head so the girls will scream and nobody will care. <laughs> <laughs> but we talked about, you know, the, the, my cousin Carl had an Aston Martin. I loved the Rolls Royce and the Jaguars and all that kind of stuff. We were Anglophiles when it comes to cars. Yeah. And, Bruce, you've been with the band since 1965. You came in at a time, Brian had kind of retired from the touring part, and that's when you came to the Beach Boys, been with them ever since. Well, I was working at a record label, Columbia Records, as a producer, and Mike called me to find out if I knew anybody. I called 10 people. I finally <laughs> said, well, okay, I'll, I'll come, to, I'll meet you in New Orleans. I know the words. And the, yeah. The, yeah. The, how many people here know that the Barry Manilow anthem, I Write the Songs? This guy it. right here wrote that song. Yeah. He wrote that. Well... Would you like to know what I Write the Songs is about? I would love to know what that's yeah. about. This is what was in my head. I Write the Songs is basically an interview of God, like huh. this way. God, uh, uh, tell me about yourself. <laughs> uh, well, I've been alive forever, and I wrote the very first song, etc. So now you Isn't know. Isn't that nice? Amazing. Hey. Whoa. <laughs>
I never really resonates. I, I think, uh, Trey, maybe you should do that in church next week. Yeah. It's a, never thought of it as a hymn. Yeah, but, yeah so. it's not a hymn, it's just an idea. But it's a great idea. Yeah, it's and it's, a great idea. You know, you guys influenced everybody, but who influenced you? Everybody. <laughs> if you think well, about it, everybody. Yeah, but I, I mean, mean there had I to be I mentioned some Chuck Berry. Yeah. Chuck, Chuck Berry, Berry and the way he did his lyrics. When I got on a city bus and found me a vacant seat, I thought I saw my future bride walking down the street. I shouted to the driver, hey, conductor, you must slow down. I think I see her. Please let me off this bus. <laughs> you know? And so, well, she got her daddy's car and she cruised through the hamburger stand now. Seems she forgot all about the library like she told her old man now. She, hey, with rapping. the radio blast and goes cruising just as fast as she can. <laughs> That's fun, fun, fun. It's, uh, he, Chuck Berry influenced the way I wrote some of the up-tempo songs. Yeah. I want to tell you what a thrill, personally and in every other way it is, to have you here. Thank uh, you. You have made our day. We hope you come back. And uh, now we're going to let you do some music for us. How's that? Oh, that'd be awesome. Can't wait. I think we should. All right. Mike Love, Bruce Johnston, The Beach Boys. Now... You can find the Beach Boys music, also get their touring schedule, which is unbelievable. You can get a lot more on their website, beachboys.com. Catch a wave of the Beach Boys on February the 19th in Orlando, Florida, on the 20th in Melbourne, Florida, on the 26th in Atlanta at the Cobb Energy Performing Arts Center. Now, after the show, be sure to go to Huckabee.tv. You'll see the Beach Boys perform their number one selling song of all time, Kokomo. Uh, Look, as many dates as they're doing, there's no excuse for you not getting out and seeing the Beach Boys in person. And believe me, if you do, you're going to have the most wonderful American experience you can. Keith Bilbrey is standing over on the sidelines, and he's going to tell us what we have coming up, and it's good. Well, we've got DEA informant Andrew Chambers coming up. Then Rock and Roll Hall of Famers, the Beach Boys perform right here on Huckabee. Welcome back, everyone. My next guest risked his life for 30 years as an undercover informant, getting close to dangerous criminals in order to help authorities send them to prison, as well as to seize millions of dollars worth of illegal drugs. Known as the Terminator and the Accidental Narc, would you please welcome Andrew Chambers. Andrew, great to have you here. Andrew, you started with the DEA out of St. Louis, and it's not like that's a job that you uh, fill out an application down at the uh, local federal office and say, hey, I'd like to be a DEA informant. So how in the world did that even launch for you? Well, it launched kind of, kind of different. I mean, it was like, what do you want? Why are you here? Well, my thing is, what can I do to help? So you went to the DEA and I went, said, here I am. I went to him just like that. Here I am. What can I do? And, and why did you want to do that? Well, because at that time, uh, I had a brother that was into different activities that shouldn't have been in, into them activities, and I just thought it was something I could do to, to positive. Yeah, to try to help guys like your brother. Exactly like trouble. him, yes. 
Now, when you first started becoming an informant, I guess you go out and you have to build relationships with people in the drug world. Yes. And hope they don't find out who you're working for because you're a dead man the day that happens. Exactly. Exactly. How, how frightened were you when you went out there and you started getting to know these people, knowing if, if they find out my cover, I'm gone? About as frightened I am right now. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't gonna kill you. <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna kill you. But, but what happens is that, you know, you, you, you're not in a suit. Yeah. You're in regular street clothes, and you're trying to be on the level that they're on at the same time. So you work that angle to pursue whatever angle that you're going at. You know, you were known in that world as a guy that just could sort of mix and mingle, and people didn't think of you as sort of standing out. You know, you, you just had the ability to blend. Exactly. So was there any secret to that? Well, it's not a secret. It's just you have to make the decision on who's your, who's your target. For example, if I was come to mis get Mr. Mike here, uh -huh. I, uh, well, I think I had to put on a suit or, and play the <laughs> guitar. Yeah, that probably helped. Yeah, yeah. I, but not play it very well. No, not play it well, just yeah, be able to play right. it. You didn't have to say that. I said that. You don't get to say that. <laughs> I'll make how <laughs> But that would be my angle to, to get in contact with you. So you're going to find sort of what is of interest to me. Exactly. And make me think we're, we got something going here. Exactly. If you're and the once they bust us. him, you get out of town, right? Oh, yeah, I'm gone. Yeah. I'm out. <laughs> there's you, there's no you, reason for me to stay around. Do then you worry they're going to find you? Well, it's not, I mean. You're not using your own name, I don't guess. No, right? yeah. I have about five or six you, names. You, you said, told everybody you were Keith Bilbrey, right? No, no, I like that name. <laughs> I, 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 I like the name Rico. Oh, okay. Yeah. Andrew, you were responsible with your insider tips of helping uh, to see millions of dollars worth of drugs confiscated and taken off the streets that very well could have killed the children or grandchildren of some of the people watching our show tonight. Yeah. So I, I want to make sure people understand that drugs are killing people every single week in this nation. Uh, I ask you if you were afraid, but I want to ask you, were you proud that you were able to help bust some of these people and get them off the street so they weren't killing other kids? Well, first, you know, I got to be thankful to God. That's the top of the line there. Yeah. Because without, without his guidance, I couldn't do what I do. So that's first. Then the rest is, is almost, it's, it's no problem. And yes, you do get scared. I mean, I've been nervous. Uh, at times, and that's part of the job. I've, I always said that if you're not nervous, then something's actually wrong. Hmm. You, should, you should back away from it. So there's nothing wrong with getting butterflies. Every job, every case I did, I always had butterflies from hmm. the beginning until it starts getting into the situation where you're actually making a deal. Then all the butterflies go out, and then I do my job, and then they get arrested and send them on the way. So how many years did you do this? Uh, 30 years. 30 years and live to tell about it. Yeah. Yes. That is the amazing thing is that very few people can do that kind of work for that extended period of time. Well, it's the blessing of God. Well, it is, but you, you've been a blessing of God to help get some of these folks off the streets. Uh, if you had it to do over, would you do anything differently? No, sir. Hmm. Everything I would do, I would do the same because at the end of the day, 
is some child, and everybody out here has childs, they, you know, they don't want their kids to be caught up into this drug war hmm. because, I mean, it is bad. Yeah. It's bad. And the thing about this situation, this is about not about black, not about white, it's not about anything. It's about the drug. Yeah. And the drug has no color to it. Hmm. It doesn't care if you're rich, poor, half poor, not poor, rich, rich, it, it doesn't care. It works the same all the way down the line. It sure does. And a lot of families have been dramatically impacted and many lives ruined because of it. And I thank God that you were there to help maybe take some of those drugs off the street and out of the systems of gullible young people. Well, Andrew, what I'll a always delight, be there. a delight to have you here. Thank you oh. very, very much. Powerful story. And if you want to learn more about Andrew Chambers, why don't you invite him to speak in your community? He can tell you about it. Visit pdaspeakers.com. Search for Andrew Chambers. Hey, Keith, just like Andrew, I know that you too are an informant because you inform our viewers what's coming up next. So go ahead. Okay, after the break, the Beach Boys take to the stage to perform their hit song on Huckabee. And now, here to perform are the Beach Boys.
you so much. Aha. Well, we'd like to uh, introduce you to the newest member of our group, Governor Huckabee. <laughs> Soon. 